Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going. And this is going to be, a, this is a Bible study, so hopefully you brought your notebook. Um, if not, you can always go back and watch this later again. I know sometimes people prefer to be able to pause me. <laughs> Get a little more, so I can slow down a little bit. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, let's do that. Yeah, it's a good idea. Um, request for prayer about the fire, and I'll add a couple other things, I think, in there, too. Father, we do. We come before you in Jesus' name. Lord, we just ask for your intervention on these fires and the fire around here that's going on, and we just speak to uh, that fire and command it to cease and desist. Lord, we know that your will is not destruction, and so we ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father, that you do hear us when we ask according to your will. And we know that you are one that protects, that keeps, that guards. I thank you, Father, that you are speaking to those uh, that need to be alerted about things and giving them wisdom and understanding, including the fire department in Jesus' name. Father, I also lift up to you uh, Dale and some of the other prayer requests that we've had, but specifically Dale, who, uh, Lord, had his other knee surgery. Father, I just ask and I thank you as we've already prayed, that you're working in his body, that you're affecting health and cure, and you're helping that process of healing that's already there by your grace and increasing it and speeding it up in Jesus' name. And Father, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that you are meeting needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. All right, let's go over to uh, um, Philippians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. I'm going to read in 2 Corinthians 5. Here's something that I would like you to be thinking about as we're going down verse by verse here through this. Um, if you didn't get one of the papers on the history of Philippians, uh, Herb has them if you need one. Uh, if you need another one, you can get one. Um, but here's what I'd like you to keep in mind, that these are new creation realities that we're going to be looking at. So what I mean by that is, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation, or she's a new creation. They are a new creation. So 2 Corinthians 5.17, you can stay where you're at. Just jot this down if you want to look at it later. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things shall become new. So what we see here is that our old way, our old nature spiritually is gone, and now we have a new nature, and that nature is Christ. The resurrection, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead as a Christian now lives inside of you, okay? So you could not meditate on that too much, (laughs) okay? You could not know that too well. So keep that in mind as we're, as we're reading through these, these, uh, these uh, verses in Philippians 1. I'm a new creation. These are speaking about me. And some will be specific and some won't. But keep that in mind. In the New Testament, now you've got to understand this, okay? Listen to me closely. Now remember, this is Bible study. So I'm going to pound pillars deep. How many know your house is only as good as your foundation? Okay, now nobody ever really oohs and ahs over the foundation, but they sure get upset if it cracks and your house starts shifting. 
And there are a lot of believers that um, they have things in the foundation of what they believe that aren't built on the apostles and prophets. And so that's why you have areas of your spiritual life that kind of crumble. And everybody can experience this because we're all growing. But this is something very significant that you need to understand. This, is, this, is, this truth has probably helped me more uh, grow and, and develop and uh, understand why things haven't worked at times in my life than any other truth. That's the fact that when you're born again, your spirit is made new, your mind is still old, and your body's just the same. So you are a spirit, you possess a soul, you live in a body. Okay? You are a spirit, you possess a soul, you live in a body. So your spirit man is you. You're actually looking through windows called eyes into this world, okay, the natural world. Now, we're, as believers, sometimes for a long time, and, and, and as believers, uh, of course, when you're first born again, you're more naturally minded than anything. How many have noticed over the years, the longer you walk with the Lord, the less you do fleshy things? Do you know it's supposed to be that way? Um, the seed is to grow, it's to develop within you, and it's to transform the way you think, the Word of God is, and then when, when your mind is renewed to your spiritual nature, you have a two-thirds majority over your flesh. You, you have a two-to-one advantage over your flesh. If your mind is focused on carnal things, then your flesh and your mind have a two-to-one advantage over your spirit. Okay? So, you got to understand that, and, and it's not hard to understand. And the longer you walk with the Lord, the more your senses will be trained to discern both good and evil. The more you'll be quickly aware of the enemy starting to lead you and your spouse into a fight. <laughs> right? You ever felt that irritation? It's like, you know. So you'll be able to recognize these things the more you grow spiritually. So verse 18 in 2 Corinthians 5 says, Now all things are of God who has reconciled to us to himself through Jesus Christ. Notice not through works, but through Jesus Christ. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation, which means you can't Reconciliation to God is through Christ. It's not through, you can't tell, go up to people and go, you know, you need to quit doing this and quit doing this and quit doing this and quit doing this and quit. Doing this. That's not how you get saved. You get saved by believing in Jesus. That's how you become a child of God. That's it. There's no other way. There's not another way. Otherwise, now you're over into the works of the flesh, and that'll always lead to a, a major hanging up hiccup. So, verse 19 says this that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Verse 20 states, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Do you think he succeeded? Some of you need to believe that a little stronger. I know I do. He did it, right? I can't do any of it. I need to believe that. So there are times where I read things in the scripture and I go, oh, Lord, uh, if you say so, 
<laughs> if you say so, I take it, you know. And what is that? You say, what is that? That is submission, obedience, and faith. Yeah, but I don't feel like it. Your feelings can lie to you. Your feelings can lie to you. But Jesus is not from his word lying to you. Amen? All right. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says this, and you're still in Philippians 1. I'm just priming you, priming the pump here. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, examine, test, scrutinize yourself. Now watch this. As, whether, as to whether you're in the faith, test yourselves. Watch this. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? What are you testing? You're testing to see whether you're really believing that who's in you? Jesus. Okay? Now, some of you are going, and it's easy to do this because it's religious thinking. I start looking at all the outward things and go, uh, is he in me? <laughs> okay? And there is some truth to having manifestation of righteousness on the outside, but Jesus is in you because you believe. And he doesn't leave because you yielded to the flesh. Somebody say, praise the Lord. <laughs> Amen? And you say, you say, are you sure? I said, and I, I'm telling you, yes, I'm sure. Because I've yielded to the flesh and he's still here. Okay? So, I'm, now I'm not making a habit of the flesh. Okay? But even when you're, even as a believer, when you're growing, you're making mistakes. Some of them you don't even know you're making. You ever done that? It's like, why am I doing this? And it's because you need renewal uh, in your mind from the word and then understanding of grace so you can overcome that thing. Amen? Okay. All right, so Philippians is where we're going here, and uh, this is the book of Philippians. It was written by the Apostle Paul. You should have your sheet there. Um, if somebody online wants a PDF, you can message us, and we'll, we'll get that to you. Philippians is known as the epistle of joy. Paul's first encounter with the people of Philippi is found in Acts chapter 16, where Paul received a vision of the gentleman from Macedonia asking him to come over there. How many remember that in Acts chapter 16? Okay. Philippi is a city, a foremost city, and you'll see this in a second, in Macedonia. Okay, it's in that area. Philippi was a foremost city in Macedonia. It is, it is referred to as a colony. A colony was a Roman city for their war veterans. The people of Philippi were not Jews but Gentiles. There was no, there's no record of Jewish, uh, like a synagogue or anything like that there. The theme of Philippians is joy, which in the Greek is chara, C-H-A-R-A, in the midst of every situation. Paul suffered imprisonment, yet he had joy. This joy is above and beyond what the world can have uh, or understand. The challenge, and this is what we're going to look at, chapter 1, and the whole kind of the theme of chapter 1 is the joy of sharing the sufferings of Christ. And some people are like, can you really have joy in suffering? Yep, you can. You can. So chapter one is this. This is kind of an overview. Overview. The challenge of chapter one is our response to suffering will be a witness to the reality of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus sets the example for us to follow. His response to undeserved suffering for righteousness' sake at the cross led both the repentant thief and the Roman centurion to salvation. As the Apostle Paul witnessed the sufferings of Stephen being stoned to death for his faith in Jesus, it made an impact on his life. In turn, Paul's attitude towards suffering has been a witness to many. The power of the Christian life must be left in the realm of the Spirit and grace. The power of the Christian life must be left in the realm of the the Spirit and grace. So in other words, the source of your power has to be within grace. You cannot strong arm it, okay? And people say, well, I have a really strong will. You're not just supposed to have a strong will. You're supposed to let him will work and will within you, his grace, his power within you, right? It's supposed to be within your will. All right, so he goes on to say this. The power of the Christian life must be left in the realm of the spirit and grace. It cannot be reduced to a system of do's and don'ts, but must be continued as a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Christ is the invisible image of God, who is in, or, sorry, Christ is the visible image of God who is invisible, and He created everything in both heaven and earth. It is through Him that all things created are held together, are held together. We are the body of Christ, and He is the head of the church. We were once separated from God, but through the shed blood of Jesus, we have been reconciled to Him. We are admonished to continue in the truth of the word because it is through the word operating in our lives that we have hope for the future. All right, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1. Let's get into this. Are you ready? Just to give you an idea, I spent four hours studying today and I got through about six verses. Okay, so you'll find this when you get into the word of God if you study this way, especially if you get into words and you're looking up the original meaning of them. Um, thankfully, I spent hours before that, so I'm further along, but I'm only halfway through Philippians chapter 1, um, and that we won't even probably get through all that tonight. There just isn't enough time. But we, how many got time? You're, are you going anywhere? You gonna, <laughs> I mean, we always got next week, right? <laughs> all right, so we got time. We got time on our hands, especially everybody's on lockdown or whatever they are, so um, you got time. So Paul and Timothy, Philippians 1 verse 1, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the bishops and the deacons. All right, first verse, what do we see? Bond servants. Now this, you may look at this, you may go, oh, it's a greeting, and it is, but there's depth in the words, Okay. Now, I'm not going to give you a definition on every word in these, okay, because it, we just, it's just, there's not, there's really no point in doing that, but what the Holy Spirit pointed, uh, pulled out to me and what he emphasized to me, that's what I'm going to give to you and then comment on those things. So the first word is bondservants here. This word means slave, and it means voluntary or involuntary. Now, in the case and in, the, in, the, in, the, uh, in this idea of Christ, slavery to Christ or bondservant, this idea, is always voluntary. Because how many have realized God doesn't make you do anything? 
Okay, so it's voluntary in this sense. Now watch this. It carries the idea of subjection or subserviency. Thayer's Greek lexicon states, one who gives himself up wholly to another's will. Devoted to another, watch this, to the disregard of one's own interests. So, the truth of the matter is, how many realize this? That a lot of Christians, and we'll just say out there somewhere, <laughs> not in this room, right? None, nobody in this room would ever do this, right? Nobody would. Okay, out there somewhere, um, most believers receive Christ and their relationship with the Father and with Christ doesn't ever go beyond, I'm going to heaven when I die. I mean, that's just a reality. Yeah, It's sad, but it is true. But what else do we know? We know, even from in Jesus' disciples, and, and when he had a big growth in disciples, where he went from 12 to 70, you know, the 82, the 70 left him. How many know this? And Paul said this, we're bond servants of Jesus Christ. It's difficult to be a person who gives himself up wholly to another's will. I'm not going to get any shouting or running on this, and I realize it. I'm just going to stay with it, though. <laughs> right? It's not as easy to be devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. So to fully walk in discipleship and submission to Christ, to live at the place of bondservant. How many realize this? That in the kingdom, the, 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 the levels of importance are backwards to the world. If you're going to be the greatest, you have to be the, right, the least, the servant. God does not exalt the proud he exalts the, isn't that interesting? So what Paul is saying here, he's not just, you know how, you've got to realize this. Paul's not writing trying to be spiritual. He's spiritual. You say, how do you know? Because look how God used him. Later on in this same chapter, uh, he he recognizes people that are preaching in competition with him while he's in prison. They're preaching out of jealousy. I've been in the ministry a while now. This still happens. And you have to watch it. I'm talking about in myself I have to watch it. And you say, what, what, uh, what breaks it? Time? Humility? Sometimes embarrassment? <laughs> You just stay with the Lord, and he has this way of working his humility through your being. But to be a bondservant, you have to be devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. Do you know, I can choose to let my interests go and take on the Lord's? Do you know if I don't, it doesn't mean I'm going to hell? I'll go to heaven because I'm not saved by my works. But this is another level. Some of you are like, I don't know if I should have come to Wednesday night Bible study. I, you know, they make it sound so fun. 
(laughs) I don't know about you, but when the rest of the world is going up and down, I just want to be right here. And the only way that that's ever happened for me is to go deeper into the Lord. Amen? It has never hurt me. And when I was, have you ever done this? You've given up something that the Lord asked you to? And at first, your body's like, what are you doing? Normally, I do this at this time. Normally, you let me eat all the cookies I want. I don't know, people identify with that stuff so much. (laughs) And I understand why. (laughs) But, and then you stop it because the Lord says, I don't want you to do that for a while. Not the rest of your, you can have a cookie again, okay? Or whatever. (laughs) You know, I'm not telling you what to eat. I'm just saying, have you ever done that and then your body reacts? But then in the long run, you're like, oh, I kind of like this. You know, Lord, you were right. Oh, Jesus. So Paul and Timothy have devoted themselves to Jesus Christ to the disregard of their own interests. Do you think they lacked from God in doing that? No. No. Each believer has a choice of slavery to Christ. They can choose to lay down their own plans and operate in their spiritual office, thus building up the church. This is Bobby Andean that made this statement. He said, no church can operate uh, on the offices of only one or two people. It takes teamwork among many believers functioning in their offices to operate the church. How many have noticed that? Every person has something within them that unless they give up their own interests and take on the identity of Christ, the actual grace that is placed within you when you're born again won't ever function fully the way it should. Isn't that interesting? In other words, being born again, like Peter said, of divine seed... That seed is a divine, but notice you're not born again of a divine, fully grown plant. It's a seed. And the seed has to be what? Watered, fertilized. You got to keep the weeds out. You got to, in other words, there's a process where you're fellowshipping with the Father and, and fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. And as you do, the divine resurrection within you grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. And the, mo- the people that are used the greatest by the Lord in their generations are those who become bondservants. Because they've set aside their interests. I have, never, I have never met somebody who has given their life to the Lord and, they, and I've spoken to them and at the end of their life, they're like, man, I wish I would have never done that. <laughs> they don't exist. But how many know it's pretty hard to make that switch initially? But you can do it by the grace of God. No matter what stage you're at in life. You know Smith Wigglesworth didn't start till he was 50. Do you know he raised, it's, it's stated, and I know at least 16 of them were recorded, but 20, he raised 21 people from the dead. He died at 86. That is in 36 years. Now, that's 21 more people than I've raised from the dead. <laughs> I don't know about you, but <laughs> maybe you have a better record than I do. <laughs> okay. but, but from 50... To 86, 
he really ministered to the, the world he could reach. And he backslid. He, his wife said she was going to church. He had been saved, but then he backslid from the Lord. She said, I'm going to church. He said, this is my house. You have to listen to me. You're not going to church. She went to church anyway. Yeah, good for her. And uh, how many know, people say, the man is the head of the house. Yeah, but Jesus is the head of the church. Come on now. You were like, oh, I think that's heresy. No, it's not. It's not. So he said, well, you can't go to church. She said, well, I'm going. He locked her out of the house. So she came home that night. The door was locked. She slept at the door. When he opened the door in the morning, she fell in the door. And uh, she came in, and she didn't get mad at him. She made him his favorite breakfast. And he repented and gave his life back to the Lord right then. And then served the Lord from then on. I don't know what that has to do with this. Oh, yeah, I know. She clearly was a bondservant of Christ. Because some people would go, where's the baseball bat? <laughs> I'm going to learn Smith a lesson. <laughs> okay? So... She was a bondservant. She was after the interests of Christ, not her own. She was able to, by the grace of God, set aside, watch this, set aside her feelings, grab hold of by faith the grace of the love of God within her, administer that to her husband, and he repented. Remember, you're in Christ. You have that same spirit in you. So we see here, Paul says, we are bondservants of Jesus Christ. Then he goes to, he says this, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So this letter is addressed to all the saints, what? In Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, right? Saints means holy or sanctified ones. The reference here is to those who have believed. In believing, we become holy and sanctified in Christ. In Christ and by His power within, we then can live holy and sanctified lives to Him. In Christ Jesus is where we are as saints. Listen to me. Because there's, there's, there's whole denominations. There's a denomination that will teach us in order to have sainthood, you've got to be voted in. Wrong. Uh. Paul didn't say, hey, we had a meeting of the cloth, and we've decided that you all in Philippi qualify for sainthood. No, he said, you're saints where? In Christ Jesus. You are saints where? In Christ Jesus. So how many have been in Christed? So you can say it with me. I am, I am. a saint. Not an ain't. You're a saint. Now watch this. Your natural mind will go, well, I know what I've done. Yes, that's because you're thinking about you from your perspective, not from God's. This is where you have to focus in. You have to go, okay, this is by grace through faith. Lord, I submit to what you said about me. I don't feel like a saint. I wonder why you even call me one, but you said I is, so I is. Yeah. I've been accused of that before. 
in Christ is where we are as saints. This is our spiritual location and divine viewpoint for life. Paul made it his daily vantage point and encourages us to make it ours as well. There's another thought here that I would like to point out. Notice that the saints are in Christ. This letter was not just written to Philippi, but to the saints in Christ, which gives it voice to every location and every generation. The Word of God is not constrained by time or physical location, okay? Because it's spiritual. These believers are in Christ at Philippi. We live in two worlds, the spiritual and the natural. How many have noticed that? <laughs> okay, you live in two worlds, the spiritual and the natural, okay? Then the next part of the verse says, with the bishops and deacons. Bishops means overseer or superintendent. An overseer is a, is a person charged with the duty of seeing that things be done by others and are done rightly. Any curator, guardian, or superintendent. That's what the word bishop means. These are pastors of, of the churches in Philippi. They carried the authority over the churches to teach and preach the word of God to the people. As apostles, Paul and Timothy spoke first to those in authority in the churches, the past, pastors, bishops, and guardians. Secondly, he mentions the deacons, which means to run errands. Did you know that? The word deacon means a, like a waiter at a table. Or other, this is the definition, menial duties. <laughs> What'd Paul say? I'd rather be a doorman. In the house of God. How many know when you're serving God, I mean, these are some terms that we give naturally to these things, but when you're serving God, there's really nothing menial if you're doing it right. If you're cleaning the toilets like Jesus might use them, it takes all the frustration and complaining out of it because you go, oh, You got to realize this. You know, sometimes people do this. Well, I don't, if we serve in the church, then I won't get to do anything that I want to do. Well, Now, think about this. Or the church is always just looking for this or that. Now, I'm talking about attitudes. This really isn't a huge problem here, okay? Because we don't, we just, we don't allow it. <laughs> Because it's a privilege to serve God at any level. And if you understand who you're serving, It takes the, the, the uh, uh, fleshiness out of it, right? You actually know it's in your nature to lay down your life for another. People are like, no, it doesn't feel like it. I know, because we're overly naturally minded and not as spiritually minded as we should be. All right, let's keep moving here. So finally, Paul addresses those who serve. Deacons also means a minister or servant, one who executes the commands of another. It means to hasten after or pursue work that needs to be done. That's what it means. To hasten after and to pursue work that needs to be done. How many have work that you need to do and you hasten after it, you do it? Do you know that you're actually a deacon in your job? You are. Because you're, is serving, do you serve the Lord in your job? Because the scripture says you're supposed to. 
You're to do your work as unto the, and not unto men. So if you drive truck, you drive truck with Jesus. Right? If I, when I did drywall and painting, I do it with Jesus. When I pastor, I do it with, he's the one who's looking I can perform well when no I can perform well when everybody's looking. But when everybody leaves, then what happens? And not because the Lord's looking at me going, "Well, you better do it right." It's more I love him. And it is within my nature spiritually to want to perform at a high level of the impartation of grace within me so that my faith is productive and the fruit smells good to Him. It's a form of worship. It's a form of worship. Brother Higgin used to say, I can tell how spiritual you are by how clean your closet is. You like that, don't you? I always get lots of amens on that one. It hits me too. How many of you have had a mess somewhere and you clean it up and you're like, Shundai? We just finally, because we moved into a new place and we just finally got our garage organized. Oh my goodness. You know, because you're doing so many things. It's not that we're lazy, we're just doing other things. And, uh, we get, and now when we pull into that garage, it's like, God's here. <laughs> you, I mean, you, some of you ought to go into your house and go, would I invite Jesus in here? <laughs> oh, yeah, that one too. It all has a byproduct. <clears throat> no church can be successful without a proper chain of command. Paul knows the chain of command which exists in their local church, and he addresses it. From this this verse on, Paul will not mention authority. Watch this. The Philippians, understand this about this book right here and who the audience is. The Philippians understood authority, and Paul never had to use the term apostle. This is the only book Paul wrote except for Hebrews in which he did not mention his office. Why did he not have to, why did the Philippians understand authority? Because it's a military retirement community. It was the Roman military retired there after their service was done. So he didn't need to express a lot of, uh, uh, of understanding concerning authority in the church. Why? They understand it. They were in the military. They know what it means. They know what it means to to have order and to fall into place and to function and move forward and advance a mission not of their own. They even understand the term bondservant. Why? Because they were in the military. How many have been in the military? How many know you don't get your own will? Or you don't last long in the military? (laughs) It just doesn't happen. Okay? So we see here that uh, Paul actually doesn't mention his apostleship, even though they understood it. So uh, notice the saints are mentioned first, which includes everyone in Christ. So we see saints first, the church. Then the Holy Spirit breaks down the church into groups within the saints. Bond servants is for everyone. Okay? That, that's a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's for everyone. 
Bishops, these are overseer offices, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. And then deacons, and really deacons is for everyone. Deacons is for everyone. People say, well, as the pastor, do you do, I, you know, I do lots of things around here besides just study and pray for you. We do, but here's the thing. I don't feel bad about it. I don't feel like, oh, how could this be? Don't they know I could be in the heavenlies? <laughs> because I look at it as what? I look at it as I'm serving the Lord. Watch this by serving you. See, I, this is something the Lord's helped me with, and, I, and I'm growing in it more and more and more. I'm not doing this just, I love you, but I'm not afraid of you. And I don't just pander to people and, and just kind of, oh, whatever you need, you, you people, because I know that if you leave, then I have nobody. It's bigger than that. If I don't obey God, if I don't obey Him, I would rather obey Him than anything. And that's not, that doesn't mean, because I could go the other route too. I could say, well, I'm called and God's called me and do whatever you want. And that's a terrible attitude too. But I try and stay in the middle of the road. I realize this. How many of you know that I'm a child of God first and then I stand in an office? So all the scriptures that apply not only to the offices of, or ministers, but also that apply to just brotherly fellowship, they apply to me. I don't, I don't get exempt because I have a mantle and anointing. I am not exempt. No minister is exempt. None. And we've all experienced and seen things along those lines. So the body of Christ is a living organism, and every functioning organism has organization. Have you ever looked at something that's a living organism, you know, like a cow with a fifth leg or something, you know, you look at it and you go, that's not the way that should be. How many have seen that video of the calf with the heart in the neck? It's gone around Facebook. How many know that's not right? If, because, and for years, and people have said this and they're right because you can get out of balance on either side, but people have said to me, the church is not an organization, it's an organism. And I agree with that. But within every qualified, living, functioning organism, there's organization. And if you don't have organization, you got a problem. How many know there's certain parts of you that lead better than others? I mean, hopefully, this area of your life is leading through renewal <laughs> and the Spirit of God, right? Okay? Not just your natural feelings all the time. So second, verse 2. You can see why it takes a long time to get through these. We're only to verse 2, and we're about to stop. So grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace meaning gifting favor, the divine influence upon the heart, and its reflection in the life. The word in Thayer's is defined as joy, pleasure, delight, sweetness, charm, loveliness, and favor. The spiritual condition of one governed by the power of divine grace. Peace, so grace and peace to you, right? To who? To me? To you. From who? God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace means prosperity. It means quietness, rest, or to set at one again. 
Now, I'm not quoting to you, I'm not quoting to you a wild-haired, uh, money-hungry preacher. The word peace means prosperity. It means wholeness. It actually means nothing missing, nothing broken. Okay? That's what it means. So who, who said that? The Apostle Paul, by the Holy Spirit, from God the Father, through the Lord Jesus Christ, to who? To you, to me. Are you in Christ? Then you have it. All right? It means peace, quietness, and rest. The tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ, and so fearing nothing from God and content in earthly conditions, knowing that we have authority over them in Christ. That's a partial of Thayer's definition and myself. The harmonized relationship between God and man This would also include then a harmonized manifestation between two people who are governed by this grace of peace. In addition, one believer can live at peace as far as they are concerned with all men. So peace is not only harmony between you and man, but it's harmony between man and man. I'm talking about within the body of Christ. So you have peace. You have the grace of peace to be able to function in this level of harmonizing. This grace is not saving grace, but living grace. It includes saving grace, but this is living grace. It is multiplied to us through the knowledge of the word of God. We know this from 2 Peter 1, 2. And also increases peace to us. This grace comes through an increase of faith and is called more grace. That's in James 4, 6. All of this is in the subjunctive mood which indicates that such grace is potential. Peace is the result of reconciliation. So in other words, as long as we're operating in faith with the grace that's within us and continuing in fellowship, there's the potential of this continued peace manifesting in a progressive manner year after year. To where no matter what, this is the wonderful thing about the gospel. You don't have to be who you, where, where, you don't have to live in the same pattern of life where Christ found you. You can be different. Now listen to me. I'm telling you, I'm seeing grace in a whole new light and it, the Lord's really helping me. But it's like I got born again again. I don't even know how to describe it because I've always been excited about the Lord. Now, I haven't always responded like I should, but I've never lost my fire, my zeal for the Lord in 23 years. It's always been there. Now, I've had moments where I've been closer than others in, 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 in obedience and stuff like that. How many have experienced that before? But even in this season where we're at and some of the things that the Lord just walks you through as you go, the further you go with the Lord, the more exciting it is. To the point where I understand some of the statements where you'd read Paul and you'd, or, or the apostles and you'd think, how are they doing this? By grace, through faith. To the point, guys, where you can be literally perfected love casts out all fear. Come on. Imagine walking around in your day never having a fear. 
And people say, does that mean the temptation stops? No, it just means you are so in shape spiritually that you whoop that thing before it even gets a slight foothold in you. You drive it out. Why? Perfected love. And then people go, I got to get the perfected love. You have it. You already have it. It's already in you. Now, here's the fight of faith. Am I going to yield to what the Lord said about me? Or what my natural thinking is? Or my feelings or what somebody said about me? Or a myriad of things. Come on. Come on, what did Paul say to the Galatians? Who has bewitched you? Before whom I, your eyes, Jesus Christ was what? Clearly portrayed as what? Crucified. Paul came to the point where he's in prison, guys, and he writes the epistle on joy. And we, we haven't even got into all the good stuff. I mean, we got into good stuff, but I mean, wait till we get to the next verses. It is, it is phenomenal. Paul was in prison for five years. And guard after guard after guard that he was chained to. Because that was his prison sentence. He was chained to them. Got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost. For five years. We're going to get into this eventually, but... One of the words that he uses in talking about the advancement of the kingdom has to do with like somebody going before a group of military soldiers in a jungle and they're hacking out foliage so the military army behind them can get in. Paul was in prison and the world would look at that and go, well, that's horrible. I can't. And in the spirit, Paul is getting Roman after Roman after Roman born again and spirit-filled. And then they're going home to their families and getting them born again and spirit-filled. Paul has infiltrated, is clearing the path ahead for the church coming behind into the Roman community for the gospel to spread like wildfire. And we're doing it today. And you say, what is that? That's the definition of an apostle. Because not everybody can do what he was graced to do. That's the definition of an apostle. To me, when I was reading that, I'm like, oh. And why would the church at Philippi understand that military terminology? They're a military city, colony. I mean, you... When you, that's what I'm saying. I don't, I mean, just, you got to say it in tongues. You can't even, it, when you understand who's in you. Think about this. Here's a thought for you. Because we just went over the 1 Corinthians 14 thing, right? And talked about tongues. Paul said he prayed in tongues what? More than you all, Right? So did Paul pray in tongues while he was chained to a Roman? He must have. How do you get private time if you're chained to a Roman? Well, excuse me, can I go? Oh, nope. 
And it means chained. It means handcuffed. Uh, Just another fun argument. Another proof, right? Hallelujah. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com. 